Hello and welcome to BachCast. My name is John Hendren, your host, and in this episode, episode 46, we're looking at the sonata for uh, viola da gamba, which is a cousin, if you will, to the cello. Um, And this performance that you just heard coming in, rather luxurious, I think, is from the gambist Hill Pearl. This comes from her 1999 uh, CD on Deutsche Harmonia Mundi, entitled Perla Viola da Gamba, uh, works by Johann Sebastian Bach. And it's luxurious, I think, because just of the um, sort of the sound that they captured there uh, and the choice of instruments, because they didn't choose the the typical uh, construction of, let's say, a keyboard and a uh, a gamba. Uh, they chose to have the top line, the right hand, if you will, performed by, by violin. And we'll get all into that. Um, this piece is is kind of interesting to me. It's it's very um, compact in a way. Um, a lot of really high quality music material stuffed into three movements: fast, slow, fast. It's interesting as I go through my collection uh, of recordings, and I do have several of this particular sonata, BWV one thousand twenty-nine, but so many of them are arrangements. Um, this is written in sort of a, a, a trio sonata format. Um, in its purest form, the, the way that Bach left us the score, it's written for keyboard and this, this instrument, the viola da gamba. And I just want to spend a short period of time talking about the instrument if it's, if it's new to you or unfamiliar to you. I said it's a cousin to the cello, and I say it's a cousin in that, like the cello, it is, it is played between the legs, However, it has a lot of differences. There are more strings on a viola da gamba. Typically, they have frets on the uh, fingerboard, uh, and they are adjustable if you're playing a Baroque instrument, which means that uh, you can adapt different tunings and uh, slide them around. Um, Typically, the bowing is a little different because it's um, played underhand, and the range is is more or less the range of a cello, but it, it tends to be maybe a less rich sounding instrument. Uh, and that is a, a subjective statement that certainly would be met with some disdain by some players. There's also not a particularly standard size to the instrument. You can find large gambas, small gambas. Uh, of course, if you listen to what's called a vial consort, if we go back let's say, to the music of Henry Purcell, who left us uh, some music for viol consort. Um, the viols are everything from one that would be played very small, uh, imitating violin lines, to the bass. Um, and of course, if you uh, were to look deeply into the double basses used in the Baroque ensemble, sometimes they're using a very large instrument with uh, frets on the fingerboard. And so these instruments are of an older generation. In Bach's time, they were still prevalent, but um, certainly they were not. They would never have been regarded as sort of uh, new. They were backwards looking. Uh, Bach uses the viola da gamba in a number of works, uh, including some of his cantatas. And probably one of the more famous pieces is his sixth 
Brandenburg Concerto, which includes a cello and a viola da gamba um, in the instrumentarium, and that gives you some contrast there uh, of looking backwards, looking forwards, perhaps. Um, the instrument itself, uh, these sonatas could be played on a cello. In fact, I remember, I don't own this particular recording, but, but early on I remember uh, when I was traversing the, the Bach CDs at the store, um, probably around 1990 or so, I remember seeing Yo-Yo Ma on the cover of a single Bach CD, and he performed um, these works on cello, um, along with a keyboardist, I believe. Um, again, I don't own that recording. I'm not going to speak any, any more of it. But you should know that because the gamba uh, either is not the only option that musicians, including those in the historically informed practice, have felt it's okay to arrange these. The, the first um, taste of this sonata that I'm going to give you comes from a recording uh, by Musica Antigua Colón. Um, as many listeners know, it's one of my favorite ensembles. Um, and they recorded, uh, it came out in multiple instances. It came out originally, I believe, as a chamber music CD. I remember the, the album having a very kind of dark, ornate cover on it, uh, a painting, something that reminds me of a maybe an oriental rug. And then I came across it in a reissue through DG Archive, um, which included the Brandenburger Chairs, the Orchestral Suites, and a hodgepodge of chamber music. And so they included the three sonatas for viola da gamba uh, and keyboard. And so this is sort of what I'm going to say is the baseline uh, performance. Historically informed uh, viewpoint, original instruments are basically written as, uh, performed rather as written.
So that in a nutshell is what we're dealing with. Three movements, fast, slow, fast. And the character, especially um, if you're paying attention to the upper part, the melody parts, um, Bach has done this before. If you remember back to some of our earlier episodes, we explored the sonatas for violin and harpsichord or keyboard. And in those, Bach puts the bass line in the left hand of the keyboard, the right hand has a melody, and the violin, of course, has a melody too. And as we just heard in that, that last little clip from the third movement, there could be some dialogue between the right hand of the keyboard and the viola da gamba in this case, uh, little motifs that are passed back and forth, which is typical for Bach uh, if we look at previous examples, but it, it works well. I think the, the especially the outer movements have some really catchy themes to them. Um, it's typical of Bach's writing where we get some angular jumps, we get some, some good rhythms, and it's hard when you listen to these pieces, uh, at least especially in that third one, to tap your foot to it. It's good music, it's, uh, it's fun, and you might imagine, which I may try to make the case in a previous episode about box music being for the home, having music made for uh, just the enjoyment of playing music, not necessarily a huge audience, but enjoying to play with uh, family members or friends. And you could imagine if, if you had a gamba in the house and a keyboard that um, this would be a nice little way to, to make music with somebody. Um, and what function it has beyond that, I'm not sure. Um, we don't have information per se about the use of these pieces beyond um, sort of what I would call house music, uh, music to be performed in the house. Um, and it's not it, it's not simple music either. So you have to have people who are you know box box level. These performances for me are a little anemic, if I'm gonna be critical, um, especially that middle movement. There, there's such opportunity, I think, because of the, the simplicity of the lines to add ornamentation, to add something to it. And in this performance, um, uh, it, just, it just didn't happen. And so it, as much as I love Musica Antigua Colm, this is not the version I typically go to when I'm in the mood to hear this piece. Um, there are some others I have in my collection that I'm not going to bother putting into this podcast that, that are more or less in the same company. Uh, they're not always my go-to ones. They're all interesting to have as, I think, counterpoints to one another, but um, I want to play for you uh, a version. This comes from a, a recording, I believe made in 2006 on the Channel Classics label, and um, if you've read my reviews, I was really uh, positive about the latest, which I believe is his third recording, by Peter Wispelway of the Bach Cello Suites. And uh, in, in the two recordings I have of his, of Bach Cello Suites, he employs a, a different instrument for the sixth suite. And in one recording, it's, it's labeled a violino piccolo, a small cello. And in the uh, the latest recording, uh, it's labeled in the in the recording as a as a five string instrument. And on the front of this uh, album, it's um, entitled "Gamba Sonatas, Riddle Preludes, and Baroque Perpetua." 
and he is performing again on the violoncello piccolo um, along with um, two partners, Richard Egar, uh, who is probably a familiar name, who performs on harpsichord, organ, and forte piano in this album, and Daniel Yeadon on baroque cello uh, to fill out the bass. And so this is their opening to uh, the G minor Gamba Sonata. So I don't know what you thought about that. To me, the playing, the, the recording quality just out of the out of the park is a little better. It's a little clearer. It's a little uh, more up front. I love his playing. It's it's not rushed. Uh, we're looking at similar tempos, um, but there's just more gusto to his playing and and some presence that I really like. And he's he's adding some personality to to the rhythmic energy that Bach has provided us. But more or less, it's that kind of traditional approach. The difference is we're not hearing a gamba there, we're hearing a, a, a cello. But for all intents and purposes, you might be hard pressed to tell the difference. So that's the second movement, and like the first example we just heard there from uh, Whispleway, I really like this this uh, performance too. This is uh, Bruno Coxet, who um, this comes from my favorite album that, um, well, at least the ones I've collected of them. Um, they include the three Gamba Sonatas, uh, 1027, 1028, 1029. They also include some other Bach arrangements. And Coxet does not use a viola da gamba there, but uses a variety of different um, instruments. The thing with that, and I can't be more specific, is because I purchased this um, digitally and do not have the booklet. And searching for those details has been uh, difficult. And when I listen to that particular movement, it sounds an awful lot like a viola da gamba. Uh, but in some of the other movements, it does. It sounds more like he's on a, on a cello. And so uh, I'll put an asterisk there and say, I don't know exactly what instrument he's playing, uh, but I really like the, the performance approach. There's a little bit of soul to it. There's a little 
it's a little vibrato on those those long notes which to me is an appropriate ornament in Bach to lend it a little bit of warmth and lend it a little bit of as again I'll say the word soul to it um, and so that's yet another version that I think is is pretty successful um, the next version we're going to hear is uh, now getting into arrangement territory I'm going to go to the third movement and this came out um, I believe the date on this one is 2000. This is a group I've not heard from for a number of years, so I don't know if they've disbanded or uh, planned to make new recordings, although the musicians involved certainly um, are still active. This comes from a an album entitled Bach Trio Sonatas by uh, the Rare Fruits Council, which I've always thought was the coolest name for a broke ensemble. Uh, Manfredo Kramer, who uh, in the 80s was a member of Musica Antigua Colm. Uh, Pablo Valetti, who leads now Cafe Zimmerman, are uh, two of the principal players in this recording. This is an arrangement, as you will hear, and we're going to listen to their rendition of the third spirited movement from Box V2V definitely a richness there they've they've taken the the one line and basically put up an octave into the violin which I think works uh, it all works for me I think it, I think it's a great arrangement it's a great album that includes um, different arrangements of trio sonatas from Bach including uh, some from the uh, the organ trio sonatas so in that one um, the richness is also contributed, I think, from the, the continuo. So we have we have the bass instrument, um, which I'm guessing is going to be a cello. We have harpsichord. Um, we have the the gamba, all all combined together to make a really rich picture. And of course, Bach gave us three parts, and that's the cool part about Baroque music is how do you realize that bass line and how do you fill it out and uh, as time and time again we find out that Bach arranges really well um, because he has strong musical ideas he's he's following rules of voice leading which typically don't give us problems there there are issues when we transpose things with having to watch the bass because um, it can invert the chords or we can get doublings that we don't want like parallel fifths or octaves but for the most part, I think uh, this is very successfully um, translated to a slightly different instrumentarium. The last uh, play on this 
piece that I want to give you is um, probably the most the most recent one that I've acquired. This came out in 2017. I'll let you listen to it first and then and then talk a little bit about it. Um, and since we just listened to the third movement, uh, I will play another rendition of their third movement, although all three, I think, are, are worth your listen. Um, and yes, this is another arrangement. So this rendition I like, um, first off, we'll get out of the way, the sound quality. Um, I'm listening to these examples as I record the podcast with, with pretty good headphones. And it's very obvious the, the differences in sound quality between these recordings, whether it's the amount of air that's being captured, whether it's the reverb, whether it's the just sort of clarity and Whoever the producers were for this one, uh, this came out on, um, I'm assuming it came out on Sony. I actually don't see it on, on the cover here. But this is uh, Yo-Yo Ma on cello. We have Chris Thiele on mandolin and Edgar Meyer on, on double bass. And, and these three gentlemen were joined by Stuart Duncan for uh, a successful project, which I've simply loved, called the Goat Rodeo Sessions. And as, as part of those performances, they started playing some Bach arrangements. And I can only imagine that that started uh, them thinking about doing some more. Um, and this collaboration finally saw fruit uh, early this year as an album entitled Bach Trios by these three gentlemen. And as we already heard, this, this piece arranges really well for a trio of instruments. And so... The left hand of the keyboard goes to the double bass, the right hand goes to the uh, mandolin, and the gamba part can be realized by the cello, as we've already heard. Um, really, really strong musicianmanship, really tight, good quality uh, in the sound recording. It, it lacks a little bit of um, that sort of drive and verve, I'll even use that word to describe um, Peter Whispleway's recording. And, and that one is, is very good too. So it's hard for me to point to one and say, yes, this is it. As, as many times as the case, there's a lot to be enjoyed with some of this good music. And my intent in this episode of Botcast was to expose you to some of these. Um, this is a really strong piece for me. Um, 
I, as I told you before, it's one of my favorites. I'm a sucker for things in minor keys, especially the key of G minor, and that happens to be the, the key center for this piece. And so this is this is right in my sweet spot of something that, that's fun. Uh, again, rhythm, energy, uh, sort of a neat instrument that Bach used. I'm not sure the instrument is that important to realizing this. Um, in some ways, we could keep arranging this for a lot of different things. I'm not sure it's particularly idiomatic just for the viola da gamba. As we've heard, uh, performers are taking some liberties with their interpretations on different instruments and different instrument groupings, different ways of realizing the continuo part, and I think all of them can be uh, particularly successful when you have good artists behind them, and that's what I want to share with you today. If you'd like some show notes on this episode, which includes links to some of these recordings that you can find, please visit my website, bieberfan.org. That's spelled B-I-B-E-R-F-A-N.org. Thank you for listening. I'm your host, John Hendren. <laughs>